In the 1980s, a random acts of kindness fad began. For most people, this simply meant picking up trash, letting someone go first in line, or offering a kind gesture or word. For Laura Formentini, a random act of kindness meant hope in her darkest hour. And um, so I had to take this impossibly long trip yeah. back by myself. So you're talking mm. about, I had to go from Addis Ababa to Dublin, Dublin oh to Boston. And then I was stranded in Boston for one night in Boston to Denver. And then, and I said to myself, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I really yeah. have no idea. But um, this angel, this beautiful, amazingly beautiful person showed up in my life that day so he i meet with him and he starts holding my hand right away and he says you are okay sister we are uh we are all together here we're sisters and brothers and i'm i'm here with you all day long and i didn't know him at all he was a total stranger and he was just like wow welcome back to kavah the podcast i'm kelly archibald and i want to thank you for tuning in We live in a crazy world, so we made this podcast to shine some hope into your life. Our guests have lived through some incredible things, both good and bad, and they want to share their stories with you. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. If you've been inspired or encouraged by these stories, please consider supporting us on Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information about us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. Laura's story begins in Milan, Italy, which is the height of glamour and fashion to Americans. But Laura saw another side of this romantic city. Growing up in Milan was... um very interesting compared to the rest of the places that I've visited. Okay. It's um, it's a very, I would say, conservative type of place. Okay. Uh, very fashion-oriented place. And um, you don't go, you don't leave your house unless, you know, even to go to the grocery store, for instance, you don't leave unless you have your makeup on or you wow. have your high heels on. And I remember my mom, wow. even if she had, she needed something, uh, just a couple of things from the supermarket, she would not leave unless she was absolutely perfect. And wow. to me, it was ridiculous, but wow. um, but it's just the way it was. And, and it's, uh, you know, it was very, um, I would say, uh, yeah, conservative and, you know, it's um, the type of place where you're, um, you have to be careful of what you say and what how you what you wear, and wow. it's it's just a that type of place. It's, yeah. actually, it's kind of like being in Paris or wow. being in one of these Central European big cities. Maybe most people in Milan didn't notice things like this, but Laura was always more observant. She felt like the odd one out in her family. One of my very first memories was um, being by myself in my room, mm. uh, my bedroom, because um, I remember growing up in a family where I always felt 
uh, different. Mm. And so my mom would always tell me, just go in your room and go and write or go and read or go do something. And so um, I never really had much interaction with my family. And so that's one of my very first memories, just being in my room and reading and drawing Mm. and just being by myself. Yeah. So who all was in your family of origin? You had a mom, obviously. Did you have siblings? Um, yes, I have a brother uh-huh. and, um, he is, we, we're very different, mm-hmm. but we're very close. Oh, so nice. we're, yeah. So, um, we respect each other. Um, mm. but, um, but he's always lived in Europe and I've lived in on two continents. So, right. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, it's, I've lived in Europe and the U S, um, oh most of my life so how wonderful yeah so do you have any favorite childhood memories um I think that I always loved talking to my mom Mm. and um I always loved being around her even if um we never really connected um I would say on a soul level Uh we were very different uh, but I always talked to her. I always loved talking to her because mm. um, I loved her. I loved my mom. Mm. Um, and I loved being around her and just really under, trying to, I try, always tried to understand her. Mm. Um, but, and I, I accepted her the way she was. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was an introvert and I was the opposite. And oh. <laughs> I was always, <laughs> I was always trying to you know, discover new things. And, and so I was sort of like the rainbow sheep in the family, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I love being around her um, yeah. and, uh, doing things with her. Yeah. And just, she would just knit, oh, she, wow. uh, knit and do her little projects at home. And I was always observing and, uh, I was just always loved her, you know, being around her. Oh, her that... presence was very special. That's sweet. When Laura grew older, she found someone that she did connect with. And what happened next didn't fit well into the Milanese culture of perfection. So did you go to school there in Milan? I did. I went to school. um, I went to high school in Milan. But then I I left when I was 21 years old and I went to college in the U.S., So, uh, yeah, so I graduated from Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. Oh, wow. So what brought you to that school? Well, uh, I met my future husband when I was 20 years old. Okay. And that was in Milan. And um, to make the story short, I got pregnant at 20 years old and I was still living with my parents uh-huh. at the time trying to figure out what I wanted to do as uh-huh. far as college but I got pregnant and um, my future husband was American uh-huh. and they told me well you know at this point you either uh, decide not to have the baby or leave mm. and so I decided to keep the baby on leave and so we came to the U.S. Okay. and I was 21. Oh, yeah. wow. And so you come and you go to school and you have a baby. 
Yes. And right before having the baby, we decided to get married. So I was 21 and my family was not around uh, at my wedding. It was almost like not, it was not an honorable thing. Let's put it that way uh, for me to have a baby that young and they didn't even know who he was. And so they decided not to show up. And so we had, um, yeah, we had a wedding. And, uh, and then I had the baby a couple of months after. Okay. That is um, so hard on yeah. a young girl. I mean, you're still, when you're 20, you're still just a girl. <laughs> That's hard. Yeah. I was just really a girl. And, um, so I always longed for my family. I longed for my mom and, and, um, their love, right. but they, they decided not to have to want anything to do with me because, um, because of what happened and um but I yeah and I I raised my family there I had two children and we were married for 13 years and um Mm -hmm. and it was it was um I really really bonded with my husband's family um yeah it was wonderful and so even if it was a completely different environment mm-hmm. because it was, okay, we were in Missouri, which, so you can imagine going from Milan to Missouri. <laughs> Laura found herself much more at home in rural Missouri than in Milan. In fact, she considered it exotic. But it was fun because uh, for me, it was exotic. Let's put it that way. Oh. <laughs> it was so incredibly exotic. And I'm like, whoa, this place is amazing. Oh, and, amazing. um, it's almost like growing up in Italy, it was, you know, all the stuff that I saw on a, on an everyday basis there in Missouri was the same stuff that I had seen in the movies. So, uh, wow. you know, um, you know, it's just, you grew up with American, watching American movies and, and oh, you know, I grew up watching, um, the little house on the prairie, oh. and, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I found out that the main the main character actually did grow up in Missouri. So I was like, oh, wow. And her <laughs> name is Laura Ingalls. <laughs> so I was like, my name is Laura. It was incredible. Oh, that's funny. So once you were out of, what did you study in college? So I studied um, archaeology and art history. Oh. Um, and archaeology was an incredible passion of mine ever since I was young because it was fascinating. It was, uh, you know, I'm kind of sort of like an adrenaline seeker. Uh-huh. And so I thought, wow, it's something that can bring me all over the world. And, and um, you know, I can, you know, discover new things. And, you know, it's, it's sort of like that Indiana Jones kind of, right. like, um, you know, idealized uh, thing. And, um, and it was, you know, it's not the type of it's, it wasn't the type of job that brings a lot of money, but if you if you get into research, mm-hmm. um, it can be really fun. And so that's what I did. Oh, that's fascinating. And uh, yeah, and then that brought me back to Europe on many consecutive summers to actually work mm-hmm. um, on actual digs. Mm-hmm. So I went on digs in Greece and Spain and southern Italy and and it ended up being really fun too. Yeah. So what kind of digs did you get to work on? So I worked on um, many. I worked, um, let's see, I did um, 
for instance, in Spain, I was at, um, I actually was on this island called Mallorca. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry, Menorca. Um, and one of their digs was um, uh, called Sanicera. Sanicera was a, um, a very researched, fo- research-focused um, and um, it was basically an ancient Roman port mm. uh, connected to the traffic that sailed the Mediterranean during those times. Oh. And so, yeah, so it was really fun. And then, um, and then in, uh, um, so I was, so I basically it was all, these digs were all, uh, I would say, connected to the Roman cities that had been built outside of italy okay so classical yes. archaeology uh-huh. and, yeah. and we did video documentaries and film studies and it was really fun after 13 years of living in missouri and traveling the world on the side laura once again found herself in need of a change she evaluated her life and decided what was important to her yes so after 13 years i realized that my marriage was over and so because I didn't have any mm-hmm. um, any support from my right. family. My family, basically, I realized I did not want me back there, okay? So um, I still had a relationship with them over mm-hmm. the phone, but it was very superficial. It's almost like, okay, let's just talk, but it, we, we, we would never really discuss anything mm. in depth. So I realized that I wanted, really wanted to leave the U.S. and go back to Europe, but I didn't have that support Mm. from my family. And I also had two children because after my firstborn, I had another one five years after. So I had a 13-year-old and an eight-year-old. Okay. And so what what I did was I decided to move back to Europe and leave the marriage because, um, it had, it was not working and, and I was not happy. And so I left and I went back to Europe, but not where my family was. Mm. I decided to move to Florence, Italy, okay. uh-huh. because I had connections with the archaeological department at, at the university. And so I said, okay, I'm going to put you guys in school there. And I'm going to work and create a new life. And and um, and that was truly without the support of Anybody. Wow. Wow. So, um, yeah. And so it was a completely new experience. I had a couple of connections there. And so I, I did, I moved and, and, um, difficult, very difficult, but it was also very freeing because mm. it was freeing me from what wasn't working anymore, mm. but also it was freeing me to realize that, um, to, it, it made me realize that I could do it. Yes, this mm. is what I want to do. I'm doing it. And so I put a date on it and, uh, and I said, I'm doing it. I'm moving it. And so that's it. And so the kids wow. went to, yeah, the international school of Florence, both of them. And, um, and I worked and I found an apartment and, uh, and I made a lot of friends. And so I started anew, but, mm-hmm. um, and that was, quite a challenge at first yeah because as you can imagine laura created a new life for herself and her two children who were her deepest treasures 
As she set out on this new adventure, she discovered things about herself that she hadn't realized before. Yeah, that is quite a challenge. So how long did you stay in Florence? So I stayed in Florence for about um, three years. Okay. And yeah, three years. And then uh, when my older son decided to um, actually attend college in the U.S., Mm -hmm. I said, okay, sure. I went briefly back to the U.S. and figure out where he wanted to go. And, um, but then I, so he went back to the U.S. to study. And then I stayed in, um, in Europe with my other son, um, who was obviously starting high school. And then, um, yeah. And so what is the next, um, significant event that happened for you? So the next significant event, um, was that, um, I realized that I really wanted to, um, because, okay, because I had been voiceless growing Mm, up, okay? Right. And I also realized deeply that um, I was an empath. I was empathic. I was absorbing energy. I was, I had so much compassion and, um, and I, I had this power of, being able to observe people and really see um, see their pain, feel their pain. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I've been there. I've been lonely. I know what it means to not being able to speak up or be understood. Right. And so I decided to um, take some, uh, take up some nonprofit photography mm. classes okay workshops and and um and I decided to study uh fundraising how do I become a fundraiser to help out the you know nonprofits around the world and so while I was still working at the uh, with the department of archaeology I started taking nonprofit photography and uh I decided to really understand how the fundraising world worked Mm -hmm. and um and so um I um decided to move forward in that sense and um at the time uh, my younger son decided to go back with his dad for a while and so um I was able to um take this new route and mm-hmm. start traveling and understand what what was going on in the world and and so I decided to for to start working in I decided to start working in Puerto Rico as a nonprofit photographer and then I was there stationed for three to four months mm. and then uh, and then so after Puerto Rico I went to Costa Rica and then um, after that I um, my my younger son came back from the U.S. and he decided to go to school and start documentary film because oh, he was okay. also interested in, in, in the nonprofit world. Oh, and so the nonprofit, the nonprofit documentaries um, were um, uh, basically taken at the school in Prague, which is okay. in Czech, the Czech Republic. Right. And so that's where he went to school. Yeah. And uh, so 
that was a fantastic experience for him and mm-hmm. loved it. And um, and so while it was, so one son I had in the U.S., right. one son, it was in the Czech Republic, and I was pretty much all over the world right. uh, traveling and doing nonprofit work. Wow. So, so okay. my, my older son graduated and became a chemical engineer. Okay. And so, and he's very... Uh, very happily employed and he has yes. a great job yeah. and he lives in Colorado. Mm-hmm. My other son graduated from um, you know, uh, from documentary film okay. from Prague, which was just one year. It was just a one year uh-huh. um, uh, program. Okay. And then um, we were set to work together and he was right. actually going to continue um, with the second year. Laura continued to build her career in nonprofit photography, using her keen, observing eye to support great causes around the world. She discovered that her younger son, too, had the same gift of empathy she had, but some would consider it a curse. I would say I have never encountered mm. a person who would understand me as much as him. Mm. So we would, we would finish each other's sentences and... We were just extremely close. We would just completely understand each other. And, um, but the problem, what triggered this mm. was um, his extreme sensitivity mm-hmm. to, I would say, the harshness of the world in which he was living. Mm. So, and he was an empath as well. Then everything came to a screeching halt. But then um, what happened was, as I was abroad, uh, I was in Ethiopia at the time. I was collecting stories of positive transformation in Ethiopia for mm. one of my books. Um, I received the call um, from my older son mm-hmm. that my younger son had taken his life. Oh, Laura. Yeah. And... Um, and that was, uh, it was incredibly difficult because um, him and I were absolutely soulmates. I'm also a speaker for the um, sensitive empowerment community. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned him, I mentioned his story and what, what happened. And I believe that not only the world needs more compassion and empathy and Mm -hmm. tenderness and understanding, but the issue is those who are HSPs or highly sensitive people, a lot of times don't understand that they have a gift. Mm. Um, And the gift is that their, their compassion, their empathy, their, their understanding, their, um, the way in which they put themselves in, other people's shoes Mm. but if you're not able to to control your feelings or to say okay this is where my energy ends right and this is where your energy starts then it becomes it blends with other people energies and Mm -hmm. you become overwhelmed right and so uh he was on the right path uh he just didn't know how to handle it I would say without my presence yet. Mm. So he was not able, because he was 21 years old, Mm. but he was still not able to, I would say, 
I wouldn't say function because he was able to function. He wasn't, he wasn't able to really put his gifts right. to use yet. He did right. not understand the empathy. His empathy was a gift. Yeah. And so there was also a drug addiction mm. that I did not recognize. Mm. And, um, and the drug addiction absolutely, uh, was there because he didn't know right. how else to cope right. with, with what was going on. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's um, yeah. such a devastating thing. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Um, so after so, that happened, yeah. what? how did you process that? Well, after that happened, again, I was in Ethiopia and I was in the I was in the rural Ethiopia mm. and um, I had, uh, I had to cut short my trip obviously. Right. Uh, and I immediately booked the flight back. Um, he was in the Western United States at the time. And um, so I had to take this impossibly mm. long trip yeah. back by myself. So you're talking mm. about, I had to go from Addis Ababa to Dublin, Dublin oh, to Boston. And then I was stranded in Boston for one night in Boston to Denver. And then, and I said to myself, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I really yeah. have no idea. Shattered and completely disoriented. Laura had no idea what to do. She could barely process this loss but she somehow had to travel across the globe to get home. As she struggled to put one foot in front of the other, a stranger crossed her path. This angel, this beautiful, amazingly beautiful person showed up in my life that mm. day. And it was, a, it was a friend of one of my guides there in, um, in Addis Ababa. And she said, listen, there's a friend of mine who can be with you. Mm. Uh, for the day until your flight goes back to the to the wow. and uh, his name is Asefa, and um, so he I meet with him and he starts holding my hand right away and he says, "You are okay, sister. We are uh, we are all together here. We're sisters and brothers, and I'm um, I'm here with you all day long." And I didn't know him at all. He was a total stranger, and he was just like, "Wow." It, I felt like I had I had always known him. Mm. Um, he would speak to me occasionally in his Amharic language, which is the language of Ethiopia, and he would say, "You are okay. Your mm. son is okay now. He's fine. Mm. Are you okay, sister? Are you okay?" And then I know that his he told me that his wife was very pregnant. She she was due at any time uh -huh. with their third baby, and I said, you know. Why, why are you staying here with me? She, she needs you at home. And he said, no, no, I'm staying with you. And then, so he stayed with me all day long. He took me to a couple of archaeological museums because he knew that I love archaeology. Mm. He bought me lunch and, and he was just the sweetest thing ever. And, um, and so when he drops me off at the Addis Ababa airport and I was shaking all day mm, like yeah. because I didn't know how am I going to yeah. do this. And I said to him, why did you do all of this for me today? You don't even know me. And, and this is something that really changed my 
the my my parents after. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, "I didn't do anything special, Laura or Laura." Mm-hmm. Um, he said, "It was my it is my human responsibility." Mm. And then that is something that completely changed my attitude towards everything. Mm. He said, yes, that was amazing. And I did not, I, I still talk to him every mm-hmm. once in a while. We even had a podcast together, him and I, and oh, we, we spoke fun. about uh, he, healing through gratitude because I wrote him a gratitude letter, which was very healing. Uh Um, but it's something that really changed my perspective on things because, okay, he didn't think that he did anything special at all. It was like a small act of kindness. Okay. But for me, it changed my life. Wow. I would have, I told him I would have never made it without you. I said, I never. Wow. Um, he, He filled my soul with his beautiful, positive energy and that energy helped me to cope on the trip back mm-hmm. and so um and um so i'll never stop thanking him right for being for being with me that day because i again i would have i would have not made it without him and his precious presence and um and so that his his presence and what happened that day is what motivated me to write my book mm. uh 21 olive trees a mother's walk through the grief of suicide to mm-hmm. hope and healing because i feel that um i have a human responsibility yeah like a safe to lift up mm-hmm. as many people as possible wow. with the fables and the poems in the book that i dedicated to blaze to my son oh, that's- so these stories give people something to hold on during their darkness. Yeah. Just like a safe I held my hand. Yeah. Uh, so they can glow again or find maybe even the wisdom needed to glow even brighter. Laura was floored by this random act of kindness, an incredible gift that a stranger had given her in her moment of need. I guess you're saying that his kindness gave you hope to, to be able to walk that journey. Yes. Yes. Um, I, um, I was completely distraught thinking right. about how I would manage on this desperately long trip back right. without going crazy. Right. His, his presence immediately became my lifeline. Wow. Uh, and again, his wife was expecting the third yeah. baby doing a matter of days. Right. Right. And so he he meets me as I'm shivering and shaking and crying, not knowing what to do, how to handle the very long trip that, back, and also not knowing how, how he would handle the situation with me. Mm. But his kindness, his kindness, it was just glowing, this beautiful thing. So this is what I'm I'm saying to to uh, when I'm trying to when I'm speaking. What I, what I always try to encourage people to do is, is to always try to go for even the smallest acts of kindness. Mm. They might, they may mean nothing to you, but it may mean, they might be, they might be life-changing for another person. Right. So you never know the power 
of a small act of kindness, where that small act of kindness can lead. See, that small, quote unquote, small act of kindness towards me led me to write this book. Right. And this book is going to be a domino effect because this book, 21 Olive Trees, is leading me to open a healing sanctuary Mm. um, with 21 healing modalities. And I'm looking to plant the 21 olive trees at the sanctuary as well. Wow. So the the olive tree, I picked the the olive tree because it symbolizes all the things about blaze, um, Mm. uh, peace and, and love and immortality and regeneration and, Mm. And um, and I, I believe that I hope that one day these trees, the shade of the, these trees will give comfort mm. to people hoping to shed their grief and finally live again. And mm. I believe that one day. So uh, I believe that one day someone will sit in the shade of the tree mm. of these trees uh, seeking comfort. Wow. Uh, and. Again, it's because the olive tree symbolizes regeneration as well. Yeah. And so I believe that if I've been able to come out of the situation and and beat all these odds, right? Anybody can, especially especially when you realize that you have that the power, the wisdom is inside you. Mm-hmm. You know who you are. You are spirit. You are here in this beautiful body temporarily but really your spirit is eternal mm-hmm. my idea of how loving action really heals the heart yes because yes. it's not about just love it's putting that love into action yeah compassion into action stand up for what is right speak mm-hmm. up for yourself if you're voiceless try to find your voice and once you do find your voice help those who cannot who don't have their voice right give help them right and so it is my human responsibility just like what asefa said yeah to lift up as many as possible from their grief because um you can't because mm. you are you're valuable you're beautiful and you're protected and you're safe mm. and there's so much wisdom inside of you mm. so is that what you want people to take away from your story Yes, um, I would say that um, my, again, my son Blaze was my soulmate and my partner in crime on many adventures. And um, I believe that a soulmate connection never dies. Mm -hmm. I feel that, I feel his presence and I know that he's there. Um, He has transformed and so I believe that the end of life is not what we think it is. It's just the beginning of a new phase mm. because we all transform eventually. But if we believe in the wisdom that it is inside of us, we can really make those changes in the world to make mm. it a better place to live. Mm. Laura's life story reminds us that we never know how life-changing our actions can be. A small seed of kindness might grow into something bigger than we can imagine. So, um, so you've written a book, and what is it called? So, um, this book is called Twenty One Olive Trees. Okay. 
a mother's walk through the grief of suicide to okay. hope and healing. Okay. And do you have a website or um, anything where people could find you? Yes. My website is um, lauraformentini.com. L-A-U-R-A-F-O-R-M-E-N-T-I-N-I.com. I'm also on Facebook. Okay. And author, author Laura Formentini and Instagram as well. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and you work in nonprofits still, right? Yes. I okay. work as a nonprofit photographer for... Okay many nonprofits in uh, Puerto Rico and I've also worked uh, with a children's home which is what you would call an orphanage in right. Kenya Oh wow! and I helped uh, with the renovation of their dorms and their kitchens and I'm sponsoring the children's wow. college and um, all of the information pertaining to the children's home is on my website okay. if people would like to contribute to their college the information is in there um i also sponsor um, more than 40 kids through plan usa which is plan international usa mm -hmm. and i'm set to write a book with them as well on the positive impact of child sponsorship mm -hmm. i've been sponsoring more than 40 children uh since 2004 through them Mm -hmm. And I will write a book with them. I will interview the adults who were previously sponsored oh. and to see how sponsorship has impacted right. positive, positively impacted their lives. Yeah. And so, again, I came from a family where I was not understood at all right. to doing all of this. Right. And I believe because I, I knew that. I knew that something was not right. I'm like, this, you know, I guess so much inside of me that has to, needs to come out. Mm -hmm. But before it came out, I had to go through all these experiences to really right. understand myself yeah, and really get to know myself. Wow. And once I got to know myself, I said, this is my path. This yeah. is my unique path. And it makes me happy. It makes me so happy. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's, it's, um, beautiful um and that you were able to find hope in all of this and um that you're able to give back and see um the kindness that was bestowed upon you um so and I'm sorry about your loss and and thank you for being brave enough to share that uh, with us and our listeners thanks again for listening to Kaval the podcast it's our joy to share these stories of hope in a confusing world. To keep up with our guests and adventures and podcasting, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would also love it if you gave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. It helps us continue to share hope around the world. We are so grateful for our listeners who financially support Kavatha Podcast. If you would like to become a supporter, please consider donating via Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. I would like to thank my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I could not do this without you. You make this happen, and I can't express my gratitude. Maybe you've been listening because you found yourself in a desperate place. We want you to know that all is not lost. 
It is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you, those who've waited to find a positive outcome. Please be sure and connect with us via our website or social media. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.